0: Well, I'm going to begin by reading you Leviticus chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 in the King James version and we'll flip back to the New American Standard which is the Bible that I teach out of. Um, in case you don't know, that was, a, that was a specific choice back when we started the bridge. Um, the New American Standard Bible, the reason why I teach out of it is of all the translations that we've gotten it is the most word for word accurate and accuracy is important in, in the study of God's Word. King James also is very accurate, though the language is, is uh, older at this point, Elizabethan, and it's a little harder to understand, it's still an incredibly accurate translation. Leviticus chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 says the following, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When any man hath a running issue out of his flesh, because of his, un- because of his issue, he is unclean. And with that as a setup for Leviticus chapter 15, we are now entering the one chapter in the Bible that I don't think any Bible teacher really would choose to teach from. This is the one, stuff of many jokes. It's rarely ever mentioned by a pastor, certainly not chosen as a topic of study, because it's all about issues, bodily discharges, menstruation. Things you probably never thought you'd hear from this pulpit.
1: And yet, here we are <laughs> Leviticus chapter 15. But let me remind you, and I, am I
0: getting feedback, Tom, a little bit? I don't know if it's another mic that's on. I think they're all muted. Maybe he was bringing my. me down a bit, I don't know.
1: have been Hmm? Could be the echo in my head. Thank you, (laughs) Aaron. And thus begins a long and hard-fought battle.
0: I do have the mic, but he's got the moves. Okay, (laughs) let me just remind you of something here as we study this, and as we, you know, I I knew this chapter was going to be here eventually. I knew we were headed this direction. You know, we we get there, and and here we are. But I need to remind you, and I'm taking this absolute um, stance of faith here. The Word tells us, as we study through, that all Scripture is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 as profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture. Even Leviticus 15. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. Paul said, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So tonight, I want you to stick with me. Hang in there, expect to apply even this delicate chapter to your personal and private life. It is a very private chapter because literally it deals with private things. I think you know what I'm saying. Now we've the last couple of weeks talking about leprosy. Looking at the uh, process by which a leper got cleansed. A healed leper could be cleansed. We spent quite a bit of time in fact on uh, chapters 13 and 14 considering these things. But I want you to understand a difference between chapter 13 and 14... In chapter 15, now that as we move on to another area of uncleanness, the leprosy laws, and if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. The leprosy laws dealt with the seen unclean. The seen unclean. That is, there's no missing a leper. If someone has leprosy, eventually you're going to know it. Eventually in the camp of Israel, hide it as you might try to, it comes to light, it becomes obvious. You can't hide something as physically devastating and obvious as leprosy, the seen unclean. However, the laws about discharges deal with the unseen unclean. Things that could be hidden for years and nobody would know. And yet, God says, even in those private places... Even in those areas that no one could possibly know what was going on, there is still uncleanness. In the same way, there are sins of a private nature sins that we alone know about, sins that we don't parade about, but they're privately done or privately clung to, or maybe they privately cling to us. But the unseen sin of a person still needs to be dealt with. It's not just the visible things, it's not just the things that maybe brothers and sisters, family, church members know about. It's not just that sin that needs to be dealt with. It's especially the unseen or the secret sins. David wrote in Psalm 19, verse 12, "Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults." Literally, David says, "Acquit me of the hidden." The hidden. It's the Hebrew word "saphar" in Psalm 19:12, and it literally means concealed by covering.
1: Equip me, forgive me, cleanse me, heal me of the things that are concealed by covering.
0: Adam and Eve were the very first ones to figure out that you had to try and cover up sin. Theirs was the first cover up. You remember Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they get nailed by God. God is walking in the garden and He says, Well, where are you guys? Where are you? They're in hiding. They've sewn fig leaves together to try and cover their nakedness because they're aware of their nakedness because of their sin. And I think sometimes we still believe that there are secret, private sins, indiscretions that we can sweep under the rug. Psalm 90, verse 8 says, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Much as we might be able to fool other people or even fool ourselves, God knows of the secret things. He is aware of what's going on in the most private places of our life. And you know, I love this. Whoops. (laughs) I love this about the Lord I love the fact that God brings everything to life That everything comes out into the open with God There's nothing that we can hide Now the the negative side of it Maybe someone who isn't a believer Who doesn't understand the Father Who doesn't have that relationship Would say I don't like the idea that God is always watching me I don't like the idea that everything is just laid open And he just knows it all God's got his eye on me I don't like that It makes me uncomfortable Well it makes me very happy it thrills me to know that I can't hide anything from God. He already knows. His whole mode of operation is let's get it out in the open and clean it up. Let's deal with it. Let's not hide it. Let's clear it up. Let's get you freed from your hiding. There's nothing worse than having to hide some kind of a sin. Whether it's from a spouse, a friend. A family member, someone in your life hiding things, keeping things secret, being afraid that they're going to, you know, somehow appear, it's a horrible way to live. If you've ever lived with some kind of a secret in your life you didn't want people to find out about, you know, it's frustrating. Well, God, God wants to free us up from our hiding. I, I used to... Had it in a while, need to do it. I, I haven't played hide-and-seek with the kids in a while, and I was thinking in the new house would be perfect. Some great, been scouting out some great hiding places.
1: But Hayden,
0: Hayden, the last time we played hide-and-seek, and actually all the times before that, his, his way of doing it is he'd hide, but like a lot of people, you know, a lot of kids, he would get in that little dark closet in that little corner, and you'd start looking. And if it took you too long, he gave you clues that he was there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because he wanted to be found. He, he would sit in there in the closet
0: and you'd hear, you'd look around going, is he in his room? No. He's out down the hall. Is he, is he in the refrigerator? No, he's not there. I'm looking at all these silly places. And all of a sudden I start to hear,
1: whoop! <laughs> 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 whoop! Whoop! <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the
0: closet. You know, I walk right by the closet in the kitchen.
1: <laughs> so
0: no, not in there laundry room whoop whoop because Hayden wanted to get out in the open he wanted to be discovered and you know what so do we uh, we may think we may fool ourselves when we try and hide and sin problems in our lives but ultimately don't we just want to get it out and dealt with and not have to hide and that's the way the father is let's deal with it let's talk about it let's not be afraid of talking about it Let's deal with your private uncleanness. And in Leviticus chapter 15 tonight, there are four specific references to private uncleanness. Two dealing with males, two dealing with females, so nobody gets off the hook. Let's look at verse 1 again. The Lord also spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. But what is this that we're talking about? Most likely we're talking about some kind of venereal disease. Probably talk about syphilis or gonorrhea. And the law deals with that kind of sin literally in the most private part of a man. A discharge, an unclean discharge. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but while AIDS tends to be the the disease that dominates when the media talks about sexually transmitted diseases, usually AIDS is the one talked about. What people aren't talking about is the fact that STDs themselves, venereal diseases, um, syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, you name it, one in three people over the age of 16 in America has an STD. It is rampant. It is epidemic in our culture. You'll never hear about it on the news. You'll hear about AIDS from time to time because that's the politically correct disease to talk about. But you're not going to hear about the others which are so
1: rampant in our culture,
0: in our society, from age 16 and up, one in three people have an STD. I didn't know that. I was unaware. That's right, because no one is out there parading it. No one's sharing that secret discharge, that disease. God deals with it right up front. A man has this problem. He has a, a discharge of this sort. His discharge is unclean. Verse 3 goes on and says, This, moreover, shall be his uncleanness in his discharge. It is his uncleanness whether his body allows his discharge to flow or whether his body obstructs the discharge. So whether it's flowing or not, and I know this sounds a little gross, hang with me, the man with the discharge is still unclean. It's not just when it's happening, but it's the fact that he has a disease that causes that discharge at any point. If he has the disease, he's unclean. Okay? verse 4 going on every bed on which the person with the discharge lies becomes unclean And everything on which he sits becomes unclean. Anyone, moreover, who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and will be unclean until evening. And whoever sits on the thing on which the man with the discharge has been sitting shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches the person with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Or if the man with the discharge spits on the one who is clean, I don't know why he would, but if he does, he too shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Verse 9, every saddle on which the person with the discharge rides becomes unclean. Whoever then, verse 10, touches any of the things which were under him shall be unclean until evening, and he who carries them shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening.
1: Likewise,
0: Whomever the one with the discharge touches, without having rinsed his hands in water, shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. However, an earthenware vessel, which the person with the discharge touches, shall be broken, and every wooden vessel shall be rinsed in water. So in dealing with the chronic discharge of this disease, each instance of contact always required a washing of water. And let me just point out that once again, God beats science to the punch. Once again, God is way out ahead of time. This whole idea of washing or scrubbing, especially among physicians, God's talking about washing when there's a discharge or a disease of this sort 3,000 years before doctors figured it out. I don't know if you realize this, but it was the 1800s before doctors started to realize that there was a connection between germs and disease and death. It used to be that among physicians, almost like a rugby player or a football player, if a physician was dirty, bloody, covered with stuff, it was like, yeah, he's in there, he's doing his job, he's working his work. You wanted to see a doctor walk into your room with blood on his apron. That told you, this, this doctor's, yeah, he doesn't have a problem rolling up his sleeves and dealing with the real issues. And yet they had no idea. There was a doctor, his name escapes me right now, but in the 1800s, who was the first to really point the finger to this and say, we need to be washing and scrubbing and cleansing because there's a connection. There's a connection between unwashed hands and disease and germs being passed along. And he was laughed at. He was laughed at about it. Made fun of in the medical community. Again, in the 1800s. This gentleman, the story goes was so, became so obsessed with this idea of germs and disease that ultimately he went crazy because no one would believe him. And I can relate
1: from time to time. That was Dr.
0: Lister. Dr. Lister. Listerine. That's it. Okay. Dr. Lister. Yeah. Listerine. There we go. All right. Thank you. So Dr. Lister actually ended up in an insane asylum because people would not believe that this man was right about the whole germ thing. Like I said, I, I can relate to that. you ever try to explain to someone about sin and they just don't get it? They laugh it off. It's, come on, you know you're, you're being all uptight. you're being all your greedy know, really And all you're trying to do is say, look, there's a connection between sin and the problems in your life, between disease, the disease of sin and death. Then you're trying to get the word out there and people are just going, come on, Dang, God is always right. And we know that. But even scientifically, though the Bible is not a book of science, it's still on every page where anything of a scientific nature is mentioned is always right and was right thousands of years before man figured it out hospitals today. Floors are scrubbed, smell like ammonia, they're clean walls, they have specific bins as you walk down the hallway. You know that hospital smell, it's just so so clean it almost makes you sick. (laughs) And they've got bins for infectious diseases and they've got special places for doctors to put the gloves, biohazard signs, masks, the whole nine yards. Science can only catch up to the wisdom of God's word. God's word was right 3,000 years ago In dealing with this God says Hey, in every situation You sit on a bed If you've got this disease This discharge Wash And don't sit on the bed Someone else Or if you do You've got to wash too Let's control the spread Of germs and disease But I believe there's a lot more to it Than just that Notice the areas In these last few verses we read Verses 4 through 12 The specific areas Which could be infected Which could be infected The bed The chair, the (laughs) sit, the saddle, even even earthenware vessels, pots for cooking, or wooden vessels, bowls for eating out of. These things all could be infected by someone who had this, by a man who had this, this discharge, this likely, again, venereal disease. But of course, no one but the person who had that personal discharge even knew what was going on. But they knew that their individual uncleanness made other things unclean. What does this have to do with us? I mean, aside from if someone has an actual venereal disease, what does this chapter, what do these words have to do with me? Think about this for a moment. These different items specifically mentioned that become unclean when someone comes in contact who is unclean themselves speak to us in in a way. Number one, the bed reminds me that secret sin steals me of my sleep, robs my sleep. Secret sin robs my sleep. The hidden secret things that I'm doing that no one knows about still affects me robs my sleep. Psalm 32 verse 3 says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Secret sin, unconfessed sin, gnaws at us. Drives away our sleep steals it from us Proverbs 19 verse 23 the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied untouched by evil I want your head to hit the pillow and go right off to peaceful sleep the Bible would say don't leave till tomorrow what you can deal with today don't let the sun go down on your anger don't let sin be undealt with because, as the bad reminds us, secret sin steals our sleep. And number two, the chair. What about the chair? Reminds me, it reminds me that secret sin ruins rest. Secret sin ruins rest. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20 tells us, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. The chair reminds me secret sin robs me or ruins my rest. Number three, what about the saliva? Hmm. The spit. I, I, th- I thought it was funny. That the, uh, if a man with a discharge spits on one who is clean, seems like a rather rude thing to do. And yet, we do it all the time. You know you can't have a conversation with someone without getting spit all over. If you're within four or five feet of a person you're talking to, you are spitting on them. Isn't that a nice thought? We're all going to go out of here going, "All right, you wait up." <laughs> because, and if we could see it, and you only see it like in those science shows when they show in elementary school, but if you can see someone talking in this spit, you guys in the front row are in major trouble. If I'm still,
1: <laughs> But it all—it's it,
0: time when we sneeze. Man, you can go like 50 feet with a good sneeze. <laughs> Passing along disease, but we do it—we do it with sin. Saliva reminds me that secret sin. Maybe, you know, even sin that others don't know about—it still corrupts my conversation. Matthew 15:11 says, "It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man." And again, I think you realize how often we spit on each other? And I'm not talking about on purpose, and I'm not talking about unseen bacteria and germs that are flying out of our mouths while we're talking. I'm talking about spiritually. Do you realize how often we, when we have our own secret sin, are spitting on other people in our conversation? Dragging them along with us, because somehow in the sickness of our hearts, it makes us feel a little bit better if someone else is doing the same thing we are. And so without necessarily confessing it, we invite or draw people into it. Cheryl and I had some good friends in college, uh, Bible majors along with us we hung out with them and and did things together they were another couple and they got married and after they got married something weird happened they they suddenly thought that because they could do certain things because they were married now they could do anything else and so they just began getting into all kinds of just bizarre things that they never did before because they could do one thing that they didn't do before and it was amazing to me how often in conversation they would try and draw us down those same roads Try, try to encourage us to literally act as if we were married, though we were not. Mm-hmm. Secret sin, corrupting conversation. And we think that we're hiding that secret sin, but it's amazing how transparent we really are and don't know it. So, like the saliva, it corrupts our conversation. Number four, what about the saddle? The saddle. Someone uh, sits on a saddle. And they have a discharge. The saddle becomes unclean. What does that tell me? Well, secret sin detours my direction. It ends up taking me places I don't even really want to go. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. But when secret sin gets in the driver's seat, unconfessed sin, I don't want to hear the word of the Lord. I'll tell you a little secret. It's just something I've learned as a pastor over the last 15, 20 years. And this is not to make anybody feel guilty, but it's a truth. When someone kind of stops going to church... For a season. You don't see them for two or three or four weeks or five weeks, and that turns into months, which then can turn into even longer than that. More often than not, it's because they're single now. It's not just because, hey, I decided not to go to church anymore. It's 99% of the time. Now, there's a 1% because I've seen the other, where someone is not going for other reasons. But it's usually because there's some kind of sin going on. How do you know this, Rick? Because I've talked to so many people who have stopped going, and it starts to come to light what's really going on. It's really hard to sit and listen to the Word of God when you've got secret sin in your life. You don't want to hear it. It's uncomfortable. It's convicting. And so, like the saddle, you get detoured from the very thing you need more than anything else, and that is God's Word. God wants to pull us out of the closet, clean us up, free us of the thing... But the only way you can do that Is by dealing with it It's kind of like the whole trip to the dentist The tooth starts to hurt This happened to my father-in-law Just a couple weeks ago His tooth was hurting Just a little bit The dentist told him He's got an impacted wisdom tooth Needs to come out Okay Well, but it doesn't hurt too bad right now That was on a Thursday Friday it was hurting a little more But he figured I can get through the weekend With Tylenol And by Saturday He was in excruciating pain
1: But if I go to the dentist i got to deal with it
0: C.S. Lewis says something about that that I've always loved. So the problem with going to a dentist is if you give them an inch, they take a tooth. They always find something else. They go in there and they fix the tooth that's the problem, and they look on the other side and go, oh, we got a little dark spot over there. Let's take a look at that. No! And God is the same way. You give him an inch, and he will take your life. He doesn't stop with just the one little problem that you have, he wants to go further. He wants to clean up the whole act. You and I are thinking, well, it's just this is one area that's really problematic. This other stuff I can handle and God's going, not for long. So let's deal with it now. But when secret sin is in my life, it steers me away from the very place I need to go for healing. What about these cooking utensils? This is an interesting thought. Secret sin infects my integrity. And so I've got to do with cooking utensils. Well, cooking utensils are tools, aren't they? The tools to get a job done. And secret sin taints the tools of my ministry. It keeps me from being able to do what God has called me to do. It affects my witness. It weakens it. Even by
1: a discharge of sin
0: that's unseen. People not, might not have any idea what's going on in your life. But even though it's unseen, it affects everything. I um, Until we moved up to Anacortes almost six years ago now, I didn't give at church I was a full time pastor but I didn't give because I figured that doesn't make any sense I give it to the church and they turn right around and they pay me so why do I want to give I'll just take it you know and not give it because it's going to come right back around I had it all worked out in my head this whole idea about giving and by the way I'm not saying that it's sin if you don't give you're just robbing yourself of blessings but that's another lesson for another time we were not giving we're not tithing And it came up to a point in our church fellowship where they were doing a whole series on giving and tithing. They were going to do a building program, which is what most churches do when they're about to build. They start talking about money. We need more. Give us more. Can I promise you that we'll never do that here and hold me to it? Never build a building. We will pray that God provides the way he wants to provide and we will not have campaigns. And hold me to that. I'm serious. But anyway, that campaign was going on. As a youth pastor, I was supposed to be talking to the teenagers about giving.
1: And I couldn't do it. Because I wasn't doing it. How can you
0: witness to something that you're not doing in your life? And if there is some kind of a secret sin, how can you honestly stand up and tell others that Jesus is the one to run to, to confess? And so what ends up happening is because of secret sin, we keep our mouths shut and the gospel goes unspoken. But Paul says... In 1 Corinthians 9.27, he said, You know, I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That word disqualified in the Greek is literally unapproved. What do you mean unapproved? That my message doesn't get ruined.
1: I have a wonderful message. I've been called to be a
0: minister of reconciliation to share the gospel with people in this world. But I can't share that gospel. If I've got secret sin in my life that's directing me, it's detouring me, it's taking me off course, I, I can't honestly and with integrity share the gospel, so I just go share. Paul says, so for that reason, not for the sake of salvation, because, you know, as Paul would say, grace saves us. I'm already saved. That's not the issue. The issue is ministry. I can't effectively do ministry if I haven't dealt with sin in my life by bringing it to light to the Father. Bed, chairs, saliva, the saddle, cooking utensils, all these different areas. But you know what's interesting? While the touch, even the touch, even the touch. Listen, verse 7. Whoever touches the person with the discharge shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. All it took for you to become unclean was to put your hand on the shoulder of a man who had a discharge, and you didn't even know he had it
1: just to have that touch
0: boom instantaneously you are as far as God is concerned unclean but what's interesting is by contrast all it took was the touch of Jesus to pass along perfect healing that's all it took the uh, the leper we talked about before in Mark chapter 1 verse 40 Jesus touched him and while disease sin tends to flow out of us healing flows out of Jesus And so the leper was cleansed. The woman with the hemorrhage, Mark chapter 5 tells us, woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years comes to Jesus and she just touches the hem of her robe and the power flowed out of him and she was instantaneously healed. Which is why I believe Jesus says the following, John 15, 3, You are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So listen, if you want to clean the bed the chair the saddle the cooking utensils in your life well good news you all tonight are doing it right now because you are clean Jesus says by the word which I have spoken you're being cleansed right now washed as the bible tells us with the water of the word oh Rick you say that almost every week I know because it's so great and because the reality is that even as we study God's word tonight we are being cleansed cleansing is going on that alone is enough reason to be into the Word, although there are so many other fantastic reasons as well. A washing of the water with the Word. Look at verse 13. Now when a man with the discharge becomes cleansed from his discharge, then he shall count off himself seven days for his cleansing. He shall then wash. He shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in living or in running water. It's actually living water. Literally, he shall bathe his body in living water. Now, the intention there was a running stream, a flowing stream. Get into some water that's moving, and that will help you be cleansed. But the parallel, as we talked about Sunday, is fantastic. It's living water. And like the Holy Spirit, streams of living water flowing from within us. And that person, verse 13 tells us, will be clean. The living water. You might also notice, by the way, that the cleansing is for a person who has already been cleansed. When a man from a discharge, verse 13, becomes cleansed from his discharge, then he goes and he washes. So if the disease is healed, kind of like with leprosy, if the disease is healed, then you go and you wash for cleansing. And there's a parallel to that. If you flip over to John chapter 13 in your Bibles, John chapter 13. Verse 5. John 13, 5, and that famous scene of the washing of the disciples' feet. Jesus is there with the disciples. And it tells us in verse 5 that he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What you do, what I do, you do not realize now that you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I do not wash you, watch this, listen to this, you have no part with me. Read that again. Let this sink in for a second. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, Simon Peter, who loved his Lord, jumps off the deep end as he so often did and says, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head.
1: Take me out, dump the
0: water, wash me completely because I want as much of you as possible. And I think, and I can't prove it, but I think that Jesus must have smiled in that moment, recognizing Peter's great love for him. But he said, verse 10, he who has bathed, he who has bathed, he who has bathed, past tense, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Of course, he says but not all of you referring to Judas Iscariot. What's this saying? Like the leper, the leper who was healed and then went for the ceremonial cleansing, the bathing. Like the person, the man with the discharge, who became clean of the disease and then washed and bathed, Jesus said, listen, you who are clean, you who have been washed... In the baptism of the Spirit, in the baptism of water, you have been washed, you've given your life, you went through that that cleansing, that consecration to the Father. But you still need some washing. You still need the washing of feet. We've talked about it over and over, the washing of water with the Word and the washing of the Holy Spirit. That is an ongoing thing that happens. But listen to this, and it's important. Jesus, in speaking to him, said... If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Bottom line is, if I do not allow Jesus to continue to wash me by his word and by his spirit, then I will have no part with him. It's about relationship. Oh, I can be a Christian. I can give my life to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be saved. And then after that, leave the Bible on the shelf, not pray in the spirit, not spend any time with the spirit or the word. And you know, I think probably end up saved. The problem is you will have no part with Jesus, no relationship. And the relationship is the best part. That's what Jesus wants for anyone who follows him, fellowship with him, time spent with him that is precious. We'll put back to Leviticus 15. Leviticus 15. And now looking at verse 14. Oh, there's more discharges coming. Then verse 14, on the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the doorway of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall offer them, one, listen to this, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord because of his discharge. And this, by the way, is how we know it is most likely venereal disease that's being talked about in this first part of the chapter. What do you mean? Because after he is cleansed of this discharge, he has to give a sin offering. He has to make a sin offering. Sin has been committed. The discharge itself, though it's unclean, is not the sin. Please understand this, and you'll see this in the next few verses. The discharge causes a man to be unclean, but is not causing him to be a sinner. And yet, he has to give a sin offering the man who has this sexually transmitted disease. Because honestly, there's only one way to get a sexually transmitted disease. You know what it is? It's not practicing safe sex. But <laughs> what's safe sex, Rick? Sex between a man and a woman in one marriage? That's the only safe sex. There is no other. For all the, the pretense in the world, that's it. That's the only safe sex. And so the only way to get this is by sexual contact that was not safe. So you have to bring the sin offering, for sin has been committed. The burnt offering is simply an offering of consecration. But there would be no need for a sin offering if the discharge wasn't the result of some kind of sin. Now, the next several verses are different because they indicate, as I said, uncleanness without sin. This is not sin related. Watch what happens. Verse 16. Now, if a man has a seminal emission, he shall bathe all his body in water and be unclean until evening. As for any garment or any leather on which there is a seminal emission, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. If a man lies with a woman so that there is a seminal emission, they shall both bathe in water and be unclean until evening. You understand now why we're talking about this on a Wednesday night instead of Sunday morning when young children are around, although there's one and I'm hoping that... This one is too young to understand. Good. Okay. So we can say the phrase seminal emission. If there is this gang, wh- what is this saying? What does this mean? He's unclean. It's not a sin issue. You will notice there is no offering required whatsoever for this. Just that you're unclean until evening, and then you wash and you're okay. What is it saying? Seminal emissions happen. That's what it's saying. And I would encourage fathers and teenage sons, please share this with them. Let them know. Help them to understand this happens. It's not sin when it happens.
1: It's not sin.
0: It makes you unclean,
1: according to Jewish law,
0: but we're not talking about sin here. I'm talking about when it just kind of happens on its own. if you need more discussion about that, I can refer you probably to some good sexual education classes. I think you all are probably uh, understanding what I'm saying here. So, this is natural, by the way, this whole idea of seminal emission. and listen closely to this, it is natural in the context of, once again, marriage. Marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is undefiled, or is to be undefiled fornicators and adulterers God will judge but the marriage bed is undefiled the Bible tells us yeah but right here it says if a man lies with a woman so there is a seminal mission they shall both bathe in water and be unclean until evening yeah which means when a man and a woman come together and lie together yeah they are unclean they haven't sinned they haven't sinned it is not a problem with the relationship the marriage bed has not been undefiled but they are unclean God says, wash yourselves. Take care of it physically. Take care of the omission. God created sex. He gave this gift to man and to woman for marriage and is not referring to sex in a marriage as being unclean. So why are they unclean? I mean, why? If, if, if there's not a problem with it, if, if it's not an undefiling type thing, why are they considered unclean? Because then everything is unclean. Everything beautiful, everything pure, everything wonderful in the world, even the most natural things around us are unclean. The sunrise this morning, the fog laying over the water, the trees that sway in the wind, the beauty of a a snow-capped peak is tainted. The world has been tainted by sin Don't believe me? Paul said in Romans 8, verse 20, The creation, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All of nature is fallen. Do you realize that when death entered the world because of sin, it wasn't just Adam and Eve who died from then on out. It was all of creation. Everything would die. Everything would rot and decay. Everything. Sin is that pervasive in the world. And so even something as beautiful as sex between a man and woman, between Adam and Eve, pre-fall, it would have been a beautiful, wonderful, undefiled, clean thing. But after the fall, everything is affected by sin. All of nature is fallen. Now Jesus will ultimately reverse that. He's going to restore the world to its perfect, pristine, Eden-like state in the coming kingdom. You can read about that in the last few chapters of Isaiah. It's awesome. But sex in the marriage is not a matter of sin. And the marriage bed is not uh, is not a, a defiled, and it's to remain undefiled. The Bible tells us. Now we leave the discharge of men, guys. You can wipe your brows and say glad we're moving from that, and we turn to women. <laughs> Verse 19, When a woman has a discharge, if her discharge in her body is blood, she shall continue in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Gentlemen, Everything also on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean. I told you, everything's unclean. Verse 21, Anyone who her bed, shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Verse 22. Whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whether it be on the bed or on the thing on which she is sitting, when he touches it, she shall
1: be unclean until evening. If a man actually
0: lies with her so that her menstrual impurity is on him... He shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. This is speaking obviously of a woman's period, and again, it's not an act of sin, it's a natural thing, but it brought about uncleanness. Now I want you to notice this. In that last section we looked at, for men, verses 16 through 18, if there was a seminal emission, it made him unclean, but there was no sin offering, no guilt offering, no burnt offering required, they just bathed in the evening and they were clean. Because it wasn't an issue of sin. Same thing with talking about a woman's menstrual cycle. There was nothing about it that was sinful. However, it still made a woman unclean. And that's important to understand. I want you to see something else. Flip over to Leviticus 18, verse 19. And just follow along here. Verse 19 of chapter 18, a couple chapters over. The Lord is speaking and says also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity. Verse, chapter 20, verse 18. Flip over there and take a look. tells us if there is a man who lies with a menstruous woman and uncovers her nakedness, he has laid bare her flow and she has exposed the flow of her blood. Thus both of them shall be cut off from among their people. Now listen to this. I told you God wants to bring even the most secretive private things and make them right out in the open to be dealt with. But this is interesting to me. During that one week or so during the month, I think God is saying something here to the men. I think he's saying, guys, give her a little space during this time. Back off a bit. Chill out. Take a cold shower if you have to. Just give her a break. There is a blessing within the curse. Now, the curse, I believe, draws all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden in the fall. And the curse that is in, in childbearing, but also I think continues in the menstrual cycle. But there's also a blessing as well. The rabbis, the rabbis will teach that this week off is vital to a marriage. And what they say is, literally, it has a renewing effect on the physical relationship of a husband and wife sexually. It's a good thing to take the week off. Now, if you do a poll of men and women, most men will disagree and most women will hardly agree. But it's true that it has a renewing effect in a marriage. God takes this thing that, that is kind of a pain, a problem, something I've never dealt with, but I've heard that it's not a good thing it's not pleasurable and yet takes it and says this is a good time for a break there's an interesting book you ladies probably really like some of you men might I don't know but it's called The Red Tent and it talks about the women of Israel it's a fictional story based on real characters but about how the women of Israel would go out to the called The Red Tent and during these times during this week each month and it actually was a wonderful thing what would happen within the camp of Israel is women within the same tent or groupings of tents or tribes would tend to get on the same cycle somehow and so all would be heading out to the red tent for that same month during the same week during the month and spend that time in fellowship telling stories, sharing. The young girls, when they reached that place of womanhood, would look forward to it because they could go out with mom and the aunts and the sisters and be out there and share that precious time. Meanwhile, the men are back in the camp going, where's the cooking utensils? I don't know how to run the tent without her. And then, you know, freaking out for a week. But they got by. But it was a good thing. And the Bible speaks of this in a different way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, but the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Oh, you mean there are duties in a marriage? Yeah, there are. There are biblical duties. You signed up for it, gang, if you're married. Verse 4 tells us, First Corinthians chapter 7, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Ooh. Ooh. However, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Why don't you go work out? I mean, she has a say in things. Verse 5, Paul says, and listen closely to his words, Stop depriving one another. Don't cut each other off don't use sex as a weapon in a marriage stop depriving one another except, except, and listen to this by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control but this I say by way of concession and not of command Paul's suggestion is give each other a break for the purpose of the spiritual side of your relationship there is a time Roughly seven days a month that a man and a woman can deepen their spiritual relationship, their emotional relationship, their mental relationship with no messing about with the physical. And it can be a great blessing in a marriage. God is intentional. He's purposeful. Even in laws like this, laws of a discharge, now you're saying, well that's good because no man would go near a woman during that time and actually the Bible makes concessions for that it's gross but it does it says that uh, in verse 24 and I like the wording if a man actually lies with a woman so that her menstrual impurity is on him he shall be unclean for seven days so it was something a man could do and wasn't necessarily sin but it made him unclean for seven days so he'd be out there in the red tent probably somewhat embarrassed okay <laughs> Now, there is an impurity among women, like the impurity among men, that is chronic. It's a chronic uncleanliness, and it's apparently also linked to sexually transmitted diseases, and God deals with women in this issue as well. Verse 25 tells us, If a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, Not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean verse 26 any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her like her bed at menstruation verse 27 likewise whoever touches them shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening when she becomes clean from her discharge she shall count off for herself seven days and afterwards she will be clean on the eighth day here we go she takes for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and brings them into the priest in the doorway of the tent of meeting The priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, so that the priest shall make atonement on her behalf before the Lord because of her impure discharge. This impure discharge requires a sin offering, therefore, there is sin of which this discharge is a result. A continual problem, a continual discharge, a chronic discharge required constant washing and washing and washing. Now look on down at verse... Where were we? We already read 28. Look at verse 31. And this is interesting. Getting down to the end of the chapter, and there's something really, really powerful I want you to see tonight. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel Separated from their uncleanness Why? So that they will not die In their uncleanness By defiling my tabernacle That is among them What? Suddenly again God moves from hygiene to holiness Suddenly, the issue is not just the flesh, it's the spirit. Because now we're dealing with the tabernacle, and God says you have got to be separated from your uncleanness, because if you are unclean and you defile my tabernacle, death is the result. There is a spiritual element here. The unclean emission of the seed of a man. The unclean flow of the blood of a woman. If there is uncleanness of this time, there is a defiling of the tabernacle that will bring about death. And verse 32 says, This is the law for the one with the discharge. And for the man who has a seminal emission so that he is unclean by it. And for the woman who is ill because of menstrual impurity. And for the one who has a discharge, whether male or female, or a man who lies with an unclean woman. What is the Lord saying? He's saying there are secret, private, personal things, personal sins, I would say, that flow out of men and women, and these issues can defile the tabernacle. Leviticus fifteen thirty-two in the King James Version tells us this is the law
1: of him that hath
0: an issue, and of him whose seed goeth from him and is defiled. What is your issue? What's your issue? What's your agenda? What is the thing that for you causes defilement? Your issue. And might your personal private issue be contributing to the uncleanness? Might it defile the tabernacle? What do you mean by that Rick? We all have issues. We all have things that are important to us. We have our fall on our sword deals. Things that we say, this is where I stand and I do not go any further. This is what I believe. This is what's important to me. This is what should be done at this church. This is my issue. We all have them. How are they affecting the tabernacle or in our case, the church? Some people I've learned over time just live for their issues. Their issues are the thing. And I'll put it to you this way. If Jesus is not your issue, your issue will become more important than Jesus. If He's not the focus, then the issues will rule where your heart is, where your mind is, and people end up bleeding all over the church, making a mess of things, people discharging their personal agendas, tainting the unity of the fellowship of believers. What is your issue? What's the thing in your life that might possibly... Defile what God is doing Now I want you to flip over Before we go tonight To Mark chapter 5 Just for a moment We'll end up there Mark chapter 5 One last thing that you need to see And please pass this along This is so important I, I'm tempted just to repeat it again On a Sunday Which doesn't mean you to have the day off That's between you and the Lord How do we guard against issues or the discharge of unclean things in the church? Or for that matter, what do you say to a person with an unclean issue, an agenda, something that is problematic, that is causing trouble? If I've learned one thing about people through five different church experiences and growing up going to church, I've learned this. Everyone has issues. Everyone has issues. And from time to time, everyone will take issue with what the church is doing. We all have our issues. Some are acute. They come up quickly, they're dealt with, they go away, we're okay. Other issues are chronic, infecting in larger mass the church body. But everyone has issues. So what do we do? Mark chapter 5, verse 25. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. You may be familiar with the story. Twelve years, this woman was unclean. Twelve years, she had a bleeding that would not stop a hemorrhaging of some kind. We don't know anything more specific than that. But it was an ongoing bleeding that would cause her in Israel as a Jewish woman to be unclean. She might as well have had leprosy for all it mattered because she was unclean. She had gone to every doctor. She had seen every therapist. She had seen everyone she possibly could who might have some kind of a remedy for this. Not anything worked. She spent all of her money impoverished by this disease, by this hemorrhaging, by this constant issue. What do you do when someone has an issue that just won't go away? And they're driving it into the church, and they're driving it into your life, and they're bugging you, and they won't stop, and it's just worse and worse. How do you deal with issues like this? Well, read on. It tells us after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, and she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. Now listen closely to this. It's very important. When someone has a chronic issue, they need to be turned to Jesus someone has an issue that won't go away and they're bringing it up over and over and it's this their battle crimes their soapbox their issue their agenda they need to be turned to Jesus now we all have and you need to understand this we all tend to have a warped view a warped expectation if you will of people in the church don't we what do you mean by warped I mean we look at people in the church and say well they're in the church they should be nicer to each other but we're not they, they should be friendlier Not always But well, they should be loving Not necessarily But Christians are supposed to be clean <laughs> But we're not Christians are supposed to set aside their agendas, right? But we don't Because the church is just full of sick, sinful people Who just happen to have gotten saved Because they threw it all before the Lord People who are cleansed Not because they're good people Again, there's no such thing as goodness being good enough. We're still humans. And yet in the church, we look at each other and go, Well, can't believe he did that. He's a Christian. He's also a human. I can't believe she said that A Christian wouldn't say that Well she's a Christian And she did So apparently you're wrong <laughs> We have a warped view Of people in the church So how does D- Jesus deal With a woman Who had this kind of an issue It's 12 years Where this thing was her issue And I know we're talking About a physical problem But spiritually How do you deal with someone Who's got an issue That's not going away Let me give you four things Jot them down These will go fast Trust me I know it's late number one what did Jesus do he stopped the flow of the issue he stopped the flow verses 29 and 30 tells us the moment she touched his hand the flow stopped and so there has to be at least a willingness a a boldness to confront issues even in the church for leaders or or, or even brothers and sisters within a church body to not be afraid to confront something that's an issue listen I hear you talk about this over and over and over uh, maybe the issue isn't your issue. Maybe it's Jesus. Sometimes what I need to hear is, Rick, is this about you? Or is it about the Lord? Is your issue that's so important, is it your issue or is it the Father's issue? Jesus stopped the flow. Take the, the issue to Jesus, and that's what he does. He stops the flow. Number two, check this out, Jesus felt. He felt her frailty. He felt her frailty. And this is so important for us. Jesus stopped and turned because he was aware someone needed his healing, his power. He was aware of her weakness. He felt it. He was aware of it. Now, if someone has an issue, an agenda, and it's driving you nuts and it's bugging you, maybe we need to step back and realize the frailty... The weakness of the person who we might be dealing with. Instead of assuming that someone is causing problems for the sake of causing problems, consider their frailty. Realize that, you know what, maybe the reason why she is so caustic is because her entire life she was raised and abused. And that's just what she's used to. It's a degree of understanding. Maybe the, re- the reason he is so abrupt is because no one listens to him at home and so here he's just trying to get his word across. Maybe there's something driving this, this issue other than just that the person's a jerk. In most situations I've discovered it's not that the person's a jerk. There's some jerks out there. But most of the time... It's because something else is going on. Jesus was aware of her frailty. He felt it. Paul says in Romans 14.1, Accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Paul would say, Well, you've got weak believers in the church, and you've got strong believers and those who are strong need to bear with those who are weak not look down on them because they're weak not judge them because they don't quite have the understanding that maybe the more mature Christian has but love them and accept them and recognize that they are dealing from a frail and weak position Jesus stopped the flow he felt her frailty and number three and I love this he reminded her she was family the first word out of his mouth for a woman who had been unclean, untouchable for 12 years, the first word was daughter. 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 And I'm not sure, but I have a sense that there's not a better word for you and I to hear than ladies, daughter. Gentlemen, sons. How you doing, son? What's going on, daughter? Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 6, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. And if a son or daughter, then you are an heir through God. You are family. We are family. I'm going to break into song. I'm not going to. But instead of being so ready and willing to boot somebody out of the household because of their issue, maybe I need to step back and recognize that they are family. And how do you treat family? What do you do for family? Now remember, Jesus would call a person who has issues a daughter, a son. And number four... The last one, Jesus returned her to her faith. Verse 34, of Matthew uh, Mark chapter 5, Jesus said, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus would say to the person with the issue, Go in faith. Go in faith. Don't worry about the issue. I'll take care of it. I know you're worried about who's going to take care of the communion cups on Sunday morning. I'll deal with it you go in faith I know you're worried about who's going to clean up the barn after the barbecue I know you're upset that nobody stayed around to help don't worry about it you just go in faith I'll take care of it I know you're worried that so and so is is a tree hugging environmentalist and keeps coming to church and how does that work I don't know
1: (laughs) guess what guess what I'll take care of it
0: you go in faith you go in faith Jesus stops the flow of the issues. He feels our frailty. He reminds us that we're family. And he returns us to faith. Faith. We don't have to worry about all these ridiculous little things that we cling to. And you know what? It's going to happen. It has happened. It will happen again at the Bridge Christian Fellowship. Someone's going to have an issue. Someone's going to bring up an agenda, and it's going to be the most important thing in the world. And you know what? We need to do for that person. What you need to do for that person, or maybe you are that person. <laughs> Let me tell you what needs to happen. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to grab onto the hem of His garment. trust Him, that he will deal with our issues Father thank you so much for loving us thank you Lord for bringing things out into the open to be dealt with Father thank you even for helping us to recognize our frailties and not be afraid to bring them to you Father I pray a blessing on all of us tonight everyone who is here in this fellowship and I pray that you will pass on this word the word which we've heard tonight that we not be a place that allows issues, discharging agendas to rule or to reign. But Father, we just follow you. We cling to the hem of your robe and we move on in faith. Father, I just pray blessings on the brothers and sisters tonight in Jesus name. Amen. 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 amen.